This platform may be an example of a metaphor gone wild. It happens to preachers all the time. We find a metaphor we like, and then we just can't really let it go. We stretch it out and add layers and find symbolism until it threatens to snap back on itself. At least in more traditional religious communities, the metaphors and symbols come with a few thousand years of history behind them. In a community like ours, where we are all meaning makers, you are at the mercy of my overactive metaphorical imagination. I mean, you really have to watch me to make sure I don't suddenly develop an entire cosmology based on mismatched socks. Take a look at my blog to see what I did develop from that particular metaphor. Today, it's not socks, though. It's braids. In my defense, there is really great precedent for the medical, metaphorical, not medical, metaphorical power of braiding, weaving, knitting, all kinds of coming together of strands of fabric. I mean, when you are braiding your own or someone else's hair, don't you start to think about the the way that your life braids in on itself, the way the many strands of your identity come together to form a strong and supple whole to form you? No. 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 Well, good luck not thinking about it the next time you braid hair, because we are taking that metaphor on, people. I have had the chance to wonder about this metaphor a lot recently, ever since I perhaps foolishly made it known to my daughter that I could French braid her hair. I like to think of myself as quite an adept French braider, but it turns out it's not that easy on four-year-old hair, which, at least in my daughter's case, sort of grows unevenly and has a very strange part, zigzags down her head, and it's super fine and not really long enough to get the braid secure. But we soldier on, by golly, and she stands patiently and occasionally winces, and we get her hair into two little French braids, one on each side. Actually, the first challenge to learning to braid her hair came not from the quality of her hair, but the fact that it was on another person's head. My own mother is not what you might call a hair person, and she made clear early on that she wouldn't be braiding my hair at all. I grew up at a time when if you were anything, you had your hair French braided. And so I did the only thing I could. I learned to braid my own hair myself. I still do it from time to time, as you can see, when I want the hair totally away from my face. And like so many things that we do with our bodies, I have that experience of muscle memory. My fingers knowing just which way to turn when to grab onto the next strand, how to weave it in and incorporate this curl and that until there's one smooth braid, starting up at the top of my head and going all the way down to the rubber band, squinching it tightly in place. If only the metaphorical kind of braiding were this easy. We are, I think, the metaphorical braiders of our own hair, or rather our own lives. There's lots of ways to look at what we braid together, of course, but what I'm particularly interested in this morning is our religious identity. Now, I say that knowing that for some of you, even that phrase, religious identity, has you feeling as though you might not be on the braiding bandwagon. 
But religion, and particularly religious identity, is so pervasive in our culture that I would argue that we have one, whether we are believers or secularists or somewhere in between. My father is a secularist, but that secularism, that non-religious identity, is as present for him as any religious identity is for someone else. So speaking of family, for so many of us, that's where the braid of our own identity starts, right up at the top of our head with the people that have influenced our life, all the people that Mary had you call to mind this morning during the meditation. My mother and father are Unitarian Universalist and secular, respectively. I was raised as a secular humanist for the first eight years of life when I then insisted that my mother start taking me to Sunday school at the local Unitarian Universalist congregation. But even then, my identity required some braiding. My mother, Jean's mother, was Unitarian Universalist as well, but Jean's father was Jewish. And although no one had particularly celebrated Jewish holidays for a generation or two, that strain, that strand, was still there. We never send flowers for funerals in my family. We buy very few baby clothes until the baby arrives. We say, wear it in good health. We start the new year with something sweet, although we got a little confused somewhere in the family tree and switched that from Rosh Hashanah to January 1st. Oops. My daughter, Marcella, whose identity is even more braided, goes to a Jewish preschool now. Not because it's Jewish, but because it's a great preschool. The experience, though, has given us an opportunity to talk about the braids and my family historically and our family now. On the first day, a teacher asked Marcella if she was Jewish. Marcella thought for a bit and then answered, um, I think I'm a little bit Jewish. <laughs> Although she didn't know it, she was about right. Don't think she's too wise, though. When she got home, she asked me what Jewish was. <laughs> Apparently, we did not prepare her particularly well for her new preschool. <laughs> Many of us are, I think, a little bit something. We may have left the Catholic Church years ago, but find that an old prayer still resonates for us because we loved it so much as a child. We might identify strongly as ethical culturists, but also have a daily practice that is Buddhist in origin. Does that make us Buddhist in some way? I'm sure there are specific doctrinal ways to answer that question, but my this is what my life looks like answer is that surely Buddhism becomes a part of our braid. This is an age of spiritual seeking. We all know the studies that indicate that the fastest growing religious category is none, which leads to people talking about folks like that's a title, the nuns. I don't think many of us actually are nuns, though. My sense is that even when we don't belong to a religious community, we are explorers, braiding in pieces from all sorts of places. In American culture, it's easy to do that without needing a community, or at least it seems that way. You might be able to guess if I think that's really true. You can, though, certainly find plenty of resources that might bring spiritual or ethical or just thoughtful richness to your life. From spiritual autobiographies, which are a favorite of mine, to writing on being good without God, to Oprah and the self-empowerment movement, if you want a book to guide you, you can find it. 
Sometimes I think it's an American pastime to gather together different parts of various religious traditions or philosophies, picking and choosing what we like to come up with to create our own whole, our unique braid. I can see why that would be attractive. I love the idea of learning from other traditions and finding what resonates for us. As you know, if you hang out here much, I often read poetry from Rumi and Hafiz, both Sufi mystics whose work I love, even though I know that their tradition and certainly their background and cultural milieu have very little to do with mine. I love gospel bluegrass, too, not just as music to enjoy, but because something there really speaks to me. It's sure not part of my family's braid. They're a little horrified, I think. So it must be a strand I picked up somewhere else, pulling it in and adding a richness to my life. Here in the D.C. area, we could become professional braiders, finding strands all over the place in the various cultural and religious events offered at tiny churches and embassies and the National Cathedral and secular think tanks and everything in between. We could create quite the braid, vibrant colors, ribbons wound in, flyaways and barrettes and clips and everything. But I actually like my braids to be neat. A few ribbons, maybe. A little gospel bluegrass. But with the heart of the braid pulled together, woven tightly. Barrette colors that, if they don't exactly match, at least look nice together. This is where I think a religious community helps us. Belonging to a place like West doesn't mean you might not still go to events at embassies or the National Cathedral. It doesn't mean you might not read the Sufi mystics or Eckhart Tolle. But it does mean that you'll find, I hope, a strand that runs through it and pulls it all together. For Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, that strand was duty. This month we are exploring the theme of duty and commitment. I think the word commitment resonates more for people these days. I wrote in this month's newsletter column about reclaiming the word duty, which has come to mean something more like burden or onus. For Adler, though, duty was about moral rightness, about behaving well and with a sense that our behavior is not just about ourselves, but about our connection to a universal moral law. Adler felt that our sense of duty could become a religion if we remember that piece about connecting our own moral choices to the world. Our children's story this morning explored the theme of duty and commitment as it relates to this place, to Wes, and that's important. But the broader message is about our commitment to the web of life, to the family of human beings, to the fragile ecosystem and universe that holds us and offers us a home. The wonderful thing about finding one's center in duty, in commitment to the moral right, is that it can still invite in all kinds of other strands. And that's true at Wes, where we have people with lots of different backgrounds or who identify differently now, where people are agnostics and humanists and atheists and theists or a little bit Jewish or a lot Jewish or all sorts of other identifiers, include simply ethical culturists. We struggle a little sometimes with how we wear our braids, though. For folks who solely identify as ethical culturists, it may feel very easy to be here. But some of us feel that our other strands are still important to us. 
we might wonder how they can be braided in with our love of duty, of moral right, with our commitment to the core of ethical culture that is found in ethics and relationship. There's another element I want to address here about the whole congregation's braid or even a movement's braid. As I mentioned earlier, I was raised Unitarian Universalist and I'm ordained as a Unitarian Universalist minister. When I was called to WES, I also pursued and received certification as an ethical culture leader, a clergy person in this tradition. Just before I started here, Wes voted, after a multi-year process of discernment, to join the Unitarian Universalist Association as one of the UUA's more than 1,000 member congregations. There are lots of reasons for and lots of history behind that decision, and I know that so many of us are rightfully proud of the process to get there, a process that was inclusive and thoughtful and really involved the membership. It wasn't an easy decision, partly, I think, because folks weren't entirely sure what it might mean for Wes. And I think Wes is still figuring that out. When I first came here three and a half years ago, I would say to newcomers that the congregation and I were both in a neat place. As I had the chance to explore ethical culture, Wes was exploring Unitarian Universalism and discerning what it might mean to be part of the association. And I still say that to newcomers. And that's not surprising. The decision to join was a big one, and it's no wonder we're still figuring out what it means. I'd like to use the braid metaphor to see if we can think about it together, or at least to provide you with the framework that I use to think about it. So we've talked about our own braided identities, and we can see that this congregation has a braided identity too, full of people from lots of places, not just religiously, but culturally, racially, educationally, socioeconomically. Any congregation holds people of different identities, and I tend to think that the more kinds of identities, the richer the experience in the congregation, the more fascinating the opportunity to live and know and love a community of people walking together through life. And then there's the braid of the whole movement of a denomination or a religious tradition. Ethical culture is unique because it was founded relatively recently, in 1876, as a new movement rather than evolving from a different tradition. In that way, it might seem like a really straightforward braid, one of those three-strand jobs, rather than a more complicated French braid or herringbone. But from its very beginning, ethical culture had a pretty significant strand of Judaism brought in, it couldn't help it, as its founder had studied to be a rabbi, and many of its founding members were from his father's synagogue. They actually met on Sundays so that they could go to his dad's synagogue on Saturday and still make it to the Ethical Culture Society the next day. I think you see that in the emphasis on behavior and ethics, and Adler himself talks about Judaism's influence on his life and his thinking in much of his writing. He also talks about the importance of Jesus and his philosophy, so you see that life and story woven in a little bit. And then Adler studied ethics both from a secular philosophical perspective and from a world religions perspective, and I think you see both those strands in as well. Unitarian Universalism is an even more complicated braid. Now, it's a movement with a focus on covenant and the inherent worth of each person, as well as a celebration of religious pluralism and multidimensional spiritual journeys. How about that for a mouthful? I just made it up, actually. I like it. 
But Unitarian Universalism started as two separate progressive Christian denominations. They merged together in 1961, a time when the movement's braid suddenly got really knotty and rich and messy. By then, neither of the denominations were considered Christian anymore, but they had distinctive cultures and messages, and of course, distinctive histories. Some people in both movements were really excited about the braid they'd be creating together, and some people in 1961 were really unhappy. A joke that went around at the time was that the Universalists, who were the much smaller group, were worried that they would be swallowed whole by the Unitarians. And the Unitarians were worried they would have indigestion. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of this really difficult and major decision that the two movements made. The merger almost didn't happen, and there were all kinds of politics involved. In the end, the youth led the way as they had merged their organizations years before. Over time, different individual congregations took the merger to heart in different ways. Sometimes, like the one where I grew up, changing their names from First Unitarian Society of Albany to First Unitarian Universalist Society of Albany to show that they were really part of this new larger whole. The merger, you might remember, was in 1961. Individual congregations are still deciding about name changes, and many probably never will. But I have, I imagine, a different perspective on it, having grown up in the movement and born after the merger, and enough after that it felt like history, not the present. I wasn't Unitarian, as my mother and grandmother had been, but Unitarian Universalist, or more briefly, UU. <clears throat> what I mean to say is that by the time I came of age in the movement, it really felt like one movement, or at least one braid. I remember learning about the contributions of each historically and feeling proud that they had joined together. The braiding had worked. You could see the different strands and learn about their stories. And as part of my training to become a Unitarian Universalist minister, I sure had to know the different stories and be able to name figures from both histories. But for a child growing up in the movement, they came together to provide a richness that simply felt like home. Now why am I telling you all of this? Wes's situation isn't much like this. There is no national merger planned or proposed or even thought of. But Wes is in a particular position where we have the opportunity to imagine what it can mean, what we want it to mean, to be braided into the Unitarian Universalist Association or to braid Unitarian Universalism into us. There are, I bet, as many answers as there are people in this room, or maybe more if some of you feel undecided. There's certainly no one right answer, no should answer. One of the things that I've often shared about Unitarian Universalism is its insistence on congregational polity, which is a way of organizing a religious tradition which says that the highest authority is the individual congregation. No one, no one at the Unitarian Universalist Association, no one in another congregation can tell this congregation or any other what to do or how to look or what to sing or how to dress or what to say on Sunday morning. So one possible answer might be that Wes stays exactly the same, enjoys its newly defined relationships with some of the UU congregations in the area, appreciates the resources that the association brings to it, and that's that. First, there is the reality that no congregation stays exactly the same, simply because people come and go, members and visitors and staff and board members and lay leaders. And all of those people bring their own braids and their own stories and change what the congregation looks like and sounds like. 
But beyond that, there's a question in my mind, at least. And that's whether or not being open to what Unitarian Universalism offers, being open to that story and that history, might bring richness to Wes. And at the same time, whether Wes might not find the chance to braid its own story and history into Unitarian Universalism, to enrich that movement with who we are and what we value, to make it richer because of our unique self, our emphasis on duty and commitment and ethics and relationship. In fact, in some ways, that's the braid that's most interesting to me, that big braid of Unitarian Universalism, which has already pulled in so many strands and which might become even more beautiful if we saw part of our role as really being one of those strands. I think Wes offers a kind of religious community and religious commitment that would look so beautiful braided in with the rest of the strands there. I'm curious if you feel the same and curious about what you think would make our strand really stand out. What about ethical culture is so unique that you could see it running through a braid, any braid it's woven into? Of course, really entering into the braid of the Unitarian Universalist movement would doubtless affect the braid of this congregation. It might even affect some of our own individual braids. For me, that's the best part of the metaphor. Braids are meant to be unbraided and brushed out and braided again. Some of us wear braids just for a day. Others have hair braided so that their braids stay for weeks. But eventually, the braids are cut off or brushed out or teased out. And then they're braided again, and we get to make choices all over about which strands we want to add in, which kind of braids we want to have anyway. If it doesn't look right, we can always take it out again. Sometimes my platform addresses have a challenge in them, a call to action. Sometimes they're introspective or address a pastoral concern. This morning, I think it's just about noticing and wondering in all the senses of that word wondering what kind of braiding together Wes will choose to do as the future unfolds, and being filled with wonder at the beauty of the braids each of you wear and at my own. And that's where I'd like to leave you, I think. You've heard a little about my own braid. It's deepened and gotten more beautiful since I've come to Wes, as I've braided in ethical culture and its emphasis on commitment, on relationship, as I've braided in Adler's words and his big dream, as I've braided in all the ways that you've shown me what it means to live ethical culture, to be an ethical culture. My braid will always have Unitarian Universalism in it too. It's a part of my identity that I love, that connects me to my family and my ordination, and that feels both historical and very present to me. I do feel badly for my daughter, who, when she's asked what she is, now that we've talked about it, has to try to say that she's Unitarian, Universalist, and ethical culture, which combined together must be the longest and most complicated religious identification phrase in history. I am a little worried that she will convert to something else just for the ease of naming it. (laughs) But mostly, I love my braid, love how it's changed over time and how it will continue to change, I'm sure. I love all of your braids, too, and I'm always honored when you show them to me. When you tell me about the poems you love or the music you sing or the tradition you learned from your mother or the philosophy you discovered in college. It is such a precious gift to be in a community where we can tell each other these stories, 
where the braids look different and where we have our beautiful tradition running through them all. So happy braiding. And don't get me started on knitting. <laughs>